Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ironworks Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And I'm not going to lie to y'all, we're in a pretty goofy mood today. <laughs> I don't know how this happened again, but uh, we're going to need a minute to get into this subject, I think. So, that is okay. Uh, yeah, so Zach, uh, today we're going to be talking about, among other things, uh, what happens when Christian kids are sent off to uh, their their universities yes. for education. So right. let's just let's open it up like this. This maybe will allow us to actually start this episode. <laughs> um, but uh, we both went to Liberty University. We did. You stayed on campus. I did not. I did. What was your? Did you go to college for a weekend or what? What was oh, your yes. first? Oh yeah. What huh? was your CFA experience like? If y'all don't know, college for a weekend is at Liberty University. You can come in. You can stay on the campus for a weekend. I think most and, schools uh, do something like yeah, this. that's like, yeah. CFA is what yeah, they call yeah. it. All the hotels fill up in Lynchburg. You oh, cannot gosh. get a reservation anywhere. You stay away from Ward's Road where all the traffic gets yeah, the piled town up. Grinds to a stop. so you were living in Northern Virginia at the time, right? I was. And you came down. Did you come down with your parents? Yeah, I drove down three three hours down, and they. It was kind of funny actually because they. So it's it's this really hilarious thing because you just you get dumped in a dorm with a bunch of people you don't know. It's super awkward. And I actually ended up staying in the dorm that I ended up going to for the first two for my first year. I only stayed on, on campus for two years, but I stayed in the same dorm. So actually a lot of the guys that I awkwardly like met and kind of hung out in their room for a day and a half, I like ended up like knowing them later on. It was kind of weird. Um but yeah, it was a fun it was a fun experience. It was it's a little different. It's super awkward because it's very you're very obviously. Did you, you go to a belong. lot of classes and stuff, or did you like just do all the fun stuff? I'm gonna ask you. The, I'm gonna answer your question with a question, Tyler. Knowing me the way you knew me in college, which one do you think I? Well, your did? parents were with you, so. Uh, they were, yeah, but not like so we. Did, most of what I like, they just kind of dropped me off, and they were. I think they have like parents things that they have yeah, to go so do. Here's they have the to funny do like thing. sessions so or something. I went to a couple I classes. Came to realize is that at college for a weekend, what would happen is people, kids would come with their parents kids they're adults but to go to college yeah, yeah. and they would go and like go to like some dorm party while the parents went and audited all the classes for them <laughs> and figured out how to get their transcripts through and like got their picture taken for their student id while the kid was off like you know playing wiffle ball yeah or my parents like weren't that. on that i went i went to a couple like i went to a couple classes and then i think there's also they do like events and stuff like i think just random dumb stuff so it was it was a it was fun it helped me like i mean i decided to go to liberty based on that weekend so that's cool that yeah. a lot of really awesome things in my life happened since then so yeah that was, that was great the, the funny thing about liberty and i don't they don't really do this anymore but liberty's uh slogan that they used to use was the world's most exciting university <laughs> and back when it was real you remember yes, that they did. when it was real small <laughs> yep. and we, i'll never forget when we first the started most playing exciting like university. division one like real like high quality sports yes all the other schools commercials during the football games would be like come and visit our diverse academic you know Grove of learning, uh, where you can learn, no, you know, you know, yeah. and then like it would shift over to Liberty. It's like, whoa, Snowflakes, yeah, come see Switchfoot in concert, baby. And it was, it very was always so funny to me. Group. It was yes. very youth group. But hey, we went, so we're the we we're laughing at ourselves. I, when I did Seafall, man, when I came in, I lived at Lynch in Lynchburg, so there's really no reason for me to do it. It's but, like taking a vacation in your own town. Yeah, at that so point, right? well, I wanted to actually, you know, I was the same dweeb that you were, I guess. Like I went to. <laughs> I audited a bunch of classes. I went and got my transcripts all worked out and uh, had meetings with professors and things like that. Um, but then like in the evening, like I'm like, all right, let's let's do some stuff around campus. And uh, I was on staying with a friend of mine, Sam, who you you know, and he let me stay in his dorm. So it was a little less awkward. I actually knew somebody. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. But 
I realized that dorm life was probably not going to be for me because the night was getting a little late. And I was like, what are we going to do, man? Let's, you know, oh, well, I kind of got some, you know, homework and stuff to do. And I was like, all right. And I said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go get some food and I'll be back. And uh, he goes, you can't leave right now. You know, uh, curfew is in like 20 minutes. And like his roommate who was sitting there watching, I think like Monty Python on the laptop starts like laughing at me to himself. <laughs> like this idiot doesn't know that it's, I wanted to smack him across the back of the head. I'm like, you're telling me that I can't just get up and go like this to McDonald's was, if I want. So that was when I decided, ah, this isn't going to be for me. Then I'll just stay at home had, and get my own place. This was when Liberty still had rules. Like the, but, but, yeah, when I started, it was like curfew was a serious deal and it was really early in the evening, like not. 11 it was earlier and so like it was like yeah liberty used to have a lot of rules and yeah they really while we were there it certainly changed quite a bit yes it, it was did. a because That's a longer conversation than we're i mean ready it used to, have to be that podcast. like the guys had to wear like ties and stuff uh -huh. to class well and, i had i still had to wear a collared shirt yeah we did Remember? when we first yeah. started but yeah, yeah. they changed it because they started letting girls wear sweatpants uh and like yoga pants and stuff so and dumb. so then the guys got all upset like listen we can't wear jeans have to wear collared shirts and then they said everybody just do whatever you want pretty much and uh yeah you know, i used to have to you, I remember back then you, i was yeah. like i didn't really care i had to, i showed up for work i almost got reps one time the only time i wasn't i didn't even live on campus what are they going to do to me yeah, anyway yeah. but because i showed up from the church i had been uh on the tractor and i was covered in grass and like nasty <laughs> t-shirt and shorts that's so why I go to class smelling like gasoline and it's nasty. And <laughs> this guy took me aside and was like, hey, you know, you, this is, you know, you're not dressed appropriately for class. But yeah, I know I'm actually working and I got to go back to work after that. He's like, okay, well, look, I'm not going to get you this time. But next time you come to a class like this, I'm going to have to write you up. It was one of this like student, like prefects or whatever they call them. A prefect. <laughs> That's perfect. And, and I had to, so I was like, okay, fine. And the, so then I left and went back to school. The head boy pulled you aside. <laughs> <laughs> whatever they were called, man. But yeah. I, was, I remember being frustrated. I'm like, so you're going to punish me for coming for to, coming harder, to my yeah. class about how to work at a church all grubby because I was working at the church. <laughs> right. You know, it was, uh, it was, that was funny. I, good I, I loved, it was good times. I loved Liberty. But yeah, yeah. yeah. so the reason I bring that up is because do you remember what classes you went to during your college for a weekend? I went to a computer science class. I remember. Oh, that's a good question. I remember being um, like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life." I know I went to one co communications class because I was a comms major for like a hot. minute. You were a comms for major? a hot minute until I realized I I I was not a very like clued in kid at that point, and I realized there is no future in this field. When <laughs> like, did this when did that happening. become code for social media influencer degree? But, uh, two years after I started. So basically, <laughs> by that time, it was still like in that class, it was still a professor from like the old era who was like, "Well, this is what broadcast media is about," and I'm like, "Oh no, like I can't. This is not going to work." Like, so I quit that real fast. Um, and I did history, so much more marketable. Now, <laughs> but now it's like you take like TikTok 205. I like guess. That. I don't know what even it would be. So I did I did a comms class and I want to say I did like an, an either an English class or or maybe a history class. I can't remember. But it was it was something like that. I did a computer science class and I remember thinking it was pretty cool. Uh, just the whole like being on college at college and stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. the reason but there is a, a you know we're kind of warming up here but <laughs> there is a point to this that we are trying to get to here and uh, that is the, those kinds of freshman seminars uh you know, oh, speaking of one more story during my freshman seminar, like when you actually come in at like three days early, you mm -hmm. have all the other students yep. and you got to go to like this. Uh, one of my it actually was my computer science professor. Eventually he was uh, talking about 
your devotional life. It's a Christian school and it's a good thing to do. But I got in a rather uh, heated conversation, warm conversation, shall we say, with this guy because he recommended that uh, for your devotions is here's what I do. You read through the Bible in one year. Great. And then the next year I'll, I'll read Christian books. I'll read good, solid Christian theology stuff. And I raised my 18 year old hand and Instead, said, you, it, said, wait, you mean to tell me you go an entire year without reading your Bible? And we went back and forth I on that. I can so imagine you yeah, doing this. Yeah, I bet you can. Yeah. And, and, and now I look back and I'm like, that really wasn't that bad a thing to say. And I'm sure he opens his Bible yeah, and I don't reads think, it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I got, remember just thinking like, you mean you're going to go a whole year without opening your Bible? And your I, church probably doesn't even teach verse by verse, man. And so I was, was in the same was me, thing. Man. 18 was my first year. I was in a, uh, I think it was a Old Testament survey class. And I got into it with the professor because he recommended, he said, and again, looking back, 18 year old me was absolutely horrified I and, needed and to get upset once yeah. or twice <laughs> right and at the <laughs> at the time i'm i'm sure what he was trying to say made sense from his perspective but he was saying look in this class if you're going to use or cite a commentary it needs to be after x date oh yeah i, I want to say I it was like that with dr brindle i want to say it was like 19 it was certainly past like the 50s it has to be a recent commentary yeah and i said okay well, well why i just don't understand that why is that and he said well you wouldn't he, now, so far I was with him. Okay, I don't maybe agree, but I understand what you're saying. And he said, well, you wouldn't use an agricultural textbook from the time of George Washington. And I raised my hand and I said, sir, this is not agriculture. <laughs> this yeah. is scripture. And he got, we went round and round and I dropped his class and got somebody else's because I yeah. just, I didn't like the way he answered it. And I felt like, well, look, it's, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there's been some changes, but it's the Bible. There's not been that many changes to this field of study that I cannot, you're telling me I cannot refer to, you know, who, who's a great guy. Well, I did that. Matthew Henry or somebody uh, like that. First, my first like Bible book class, Uh my core class, I, uh, you know, you had to write a paper on, it was first Timothy. It was my pastoral epistles class. And I used, um, Barnes, Barnes notes in the new Testament from the late 1800s, I believe. And I quoted John Wesley in one of mine. One would think safe. Um, Well, (laughs) safe citation. So his student assistant, like, lit up my citations page. You're using commentaries from a different century. And I'm like, this is John Wesley. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. give me a break. So I went to the professor and he was, I, I ended up really liking him. And he was like, look, yeah, they're great. He says, but what you're trying to do is academic theological work, right. which means you need to cite guys from such and such. And he may actually was like, I think he gave me points back. He's like, if you're going to use a guy like that, I said, that's, that's fine. He said, but use him in addition to some of these other sure. more recent guys. And, and, he was a missionary for like decades and so that's he, a better answer up, I think but. than just the other answer which w- w- that's what made yeah. me so mad is it wasn't even like hey you know you gotta understand from a scholarly perspective it was basically comparing Matthew Henry to a outdated agricultural textbook and I was like excuse me yeah, but and anyway. I still th- I still <laughs> stand on that point like oh, too yeah. it's like sure. that that's part of the problem with academic Christianity correct uh, among <laughs> other things but um, but y- y- all this to say you guys I, hopefully you can see where we're going with this if you know this this series we're on uh you you go to these freshman seminars these early required classes that everybody hates when you're you know i want to go out and get a criminal justice degree and they're making me take a course on like intro to philosophy or whatever (laughs) uh well for many people most folks that are not going to go to a christian university and even one like liberty which is i think almost a you know, a unicorn in that regard. Mm. Uh, even other Christian universities are that in name only, unfortunately. But most 
Christian high school students will leave home, they'll go to these universities, and their freshman seminar will not consist of a professor giving them dorky advice on how to do their morning devotions. <laughs> They're going to instead be face-to-face with somebody who's going to rip apart their religion, rip apart their way they were raised, and tell them that you're an idiot if you continue to believe these things. Now, this is... Uh, of course, specifically related to Christianity, everything else, you, you know, diversity is our strength. But if you're a Christian, then you got to be shut up, right? Uh, it's related to sexuality. Everybody has to take these gender theory classes now. Everybody has to take these intro to uh, black studies or Latino liberation studies now and uh, get fed all of this propaganda. But one of the things we said in the first episode in our creation series here is that the Christians have been on this for a long time, that the universities were nothing more than propaganda machines. And then it became known politically, and then everybody began to care. Uh, We're not (laughs) sore about that. We're just glad that people are paying attention. But what I want to bring out uh, to you and remind you of is that one of the things above all that is used as the hammer to press all that stuff home is these doctrines of evolution, are these doctrines of evolution. That the belief that God did not create the world, the world exploded out of nothing and became what it is today, God had nothing to do with it, is the pry bar that is used to pop the the religious uh, covering off of these kids and to attack them and assault them with it. And when someone comes home, when these kids come home from their freshman year of college and they're, they're philosophically and mentally unrecognizable to their parents... One of the first things that comes up is they want to talk about, well, what about the fossil record or what right. about starlight or what about uh, all these various things? And uh, th- this is an issue that has to be addressed. And we've looked at this a lot of different ways as in this podcast. We started out uh, looking at the the more general overview of where we stand. This is another, I mean, another similar look at, to this uh, issue. We looked at what the Bible has to say and methods of interpretation of this issue. I'll remind us all, once again, this is not a matter of salvation, but what we want to look at today is, is okay, salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But to deny this is, first of all, to n- deny what the scripture says. Secondarily, though, to deny and threaten so many of the doctrines that undergird the gospel that it becomes dangerous and lethal to these especially young Christians that either get online or go into their freshman seminar class, and this is the... Like I said, this is the pry bar that the devil has used to rip apart these these young lives. So that's why today, if, if we want to use our, our, our subject, we're going to be looking at evolution from a theological perspective. And I mean, Zach, would you agree with me that I, I think deconstruction, you know, that is what it's called now, which is a very postmodern term mm-hmm. uh, that is is afflicting the church. It, it is often argued at the area of gender or justice or whatever, but very often the the factual, so to speak, undergirding of all that is this issue of evolution. Would you agree with me on that, that this is fueling so much of that deconstructionism? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's not just anecdotal. I mean, anecdotally, yes, I have, I have talked to people who that's their, <clears throat> that is the process that they've followed through. I also think that just philosophically that's true and again tap the sign don't make me tap the sign right uh, ken ham has told us this for a long time right well let's not just top it Let, let's talk about that i mean we've you know we've have positive and and sometimes negative things to say about ken ham and answers in genesis but on this issue he was absolutely right so yes. i mean explain well, to me what do you mean by what i mean by the, that is the he, foundational issues for years he had this diagram that he would show and it was this two that was this castle with built on this foundation and then above the castle are these 
it was two castles actually i apologize two castles they're both built on these rock foundations and then there's people you know in the castle with little cannons shooting at each other and then above the castle there are these you know balloons and the balloons above the the enemy fort you know that we're firing at as the as the church we're, we're attacking the devil we're, we're trying to you know the the gates of hell will not prevail and the balloons he said represented they would have a little label on each one one of them was gender issues and one of them was you know social justice issues and one of them was you know sexuality and one of them was crime and and you know whatever violence and all these things right abortion. abortion right things that things that we look at and we see those as he said these are very important issues he said but the challenge is and he would show the church pointing all their cannons at those balloons and trying to pop them right and but the problem is the enemy always has more issues he can bring up if if we make really and, and we have experienced this as a church this is why we talk about ken ham as a prophet in some ways we saw for what now 50 60 years the church through i think godly men trying to do their best have attempted to squash these these balloons okay we're gonna get abortion we're gonna outlaw it okay that that did it there we go did it well has that fixed our cultural issue or our, our religious issue or our, our issue with you know with our children no it hasn't why because there's no, here's a new issue we didn't think about transgenderism that wasn't in the original you know that wasn't in the original diagram because it hadn't even come up yet right Ken Ham pointed out that the issues were at the foundation. The enemy on the other castle was constantly firing at the foundation, which is the foundation of understanding the whole world based on Genesis 1 through 11. If the enemy takes out that foundation, they don't care what we do to the the, the surface issues. And I want to be careful when I say surface issues because somebody might say, well, abortion isn't a surface issue. What I mean by that is a, the all of those things come from a root, which is a view of man through an evolutionary lens and worldview. Mm -hmm. So so what he was trying to point out is, as the church, we need to remember that these things are worldview issues, and we need to deal with the, the problem of worldview, not just the societal problem. We can't just stand in front of a culture that is barreling onward towards sin and say, you can't do that. The Bible says you you you. it's only men and women. And, and when the culture is going to respond, who cares what the Bible says? We know... And then they're going to give you, they typically will give you a response that's based in a supposedly scientific understanding of origins. Yeah. They always go back to that because they know, right? It's, it's very clear. It should be very clear that if, and, and Ken Ham would always talk about this, if we came from chemical reactions and we're going to return to chemical reactions, then the chemical reactions that happen in the middle are not important morally. Yeah. It means so nothing. Th this is... Uh this is the issue, I, yeah. and there's other agree. things that come into it. But here's the the yeah, evolution drives all that. The philosophy, so we say, the philosophy yes. of evolution, secularism. There is no god. Everything is just chance and time. All that brought together is a foundational philosophical worldview that is the engine driving the rest of this stuff. That's right. Because you know, to have an, an argument with somebody about abortion who doesn't believe that people are created in the image of God, it's a losing battle. It's, and you know, maybe you've had these yes. conversations because they're coming from a completely different foundation. And Psalm 11.3, which we're going to return to this passage at the end of the podcast today mm -hmm. because it does continue. And uh, I like how it continues. But Psalm 11 verse 3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right. And is there anything more foundational than the existence of God who created the world and loves you very much? There's not. And what the church has done, not all of us, but a lot of very prominent members and leaders in the church have said, look, we're not going to win on this one. What we need to try to do is accommodate evolution as much right. as we can. Right, 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 and right. that will arrest the fall here. But I think that 
I, I think the whole point of what we get into today is if you allow that to remain, it will continue to produce the same kind of fruit that it has been producing. And maybe you've been listening to this and you're like, look, I, I get where you're coming from. I appreciate what the scientists had to say. I And it certainly has made the issue more complicated in my mind. But I just having such a hard time disagreeing with something that seems to be so universally accepted by smart, intelligent people mm. and that there are good Christians that believe it. So I, I, why does this need to be a main issue? And if you need something to tip you over the edge, here's what always tips me over the edge. Jesus said in Matthew 7, I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. All right, how are we supposed to know a false prophet if they look just like us, right? Mm-hmm. Verse 16, Jesus said, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's how Jesus taught us to identify false teaching is by the fruit that it bears. That if, if you're not sure if this is a good or a bad thing, wait and see what kind of fruit it produces. And if a certain kind of seed is constantly and only producing the same kind of fruit and it's all bad, then we should pay attention and sit up and listen. And we're going to be speaking today about evolution as a tree that only bears bad fruit. And you may say, Tyler, you're not a scientist. You're not a physicist. You're not a cosmologist. No, I'm none of those things. We've talked to a few of those people to help ease your conscience. But here's what I am. I am a pastor. I'm a Christian. And I'm some kind of theologian. And according to what the Bible has said, to me as a pastor, Jesus said, as a keeper of the flock, you will know the wolves when they bear bad fruit, it's mixing metaphors, but you'll know the wolf that's coming mm-hmm. to ravage the sheep because they're going to be like a tree that bears bad fruit. And I think that is the only kind of fruit that evolution has borne, which tells me I ought to, at the very least, be very skeptical about this. Oh, yeah. And, well, and, and and it's also important, and he, you know, again, many, 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 God, not even just Ken Ham, many godly men for hundreds of years now have pointed this out. It's also very interesting that this becomes the issue that everybody wants to debate on. Why? Because they know that the foundational issue is what actually matters. Like you said, Tyler, if if this is what everybody, when everybody, when you, if you ask people nowadays, well, okay, you, so you're telling me that you believe God is a fairy tale and it's, it's foolish to even think that in the modern world. Why do you think that? Nine times out of 10, the discussion becomes an origins discussion immediately. So we can say, oh, that's not, that's what is tragic to me. I hear believers saying, this isn't important. You need to think strategically. You need to think tactically. You need to focus on the main thing. The enemy is currently focusing on the main thing. The enemy is not stupid, right? The enemy knows that this is the main thing, that if you can deny God as creator, then you can also deny him as sustainer and you can deny him as in charge of your life. And so since the, what, shouldn't it clue you into the fact that the enemy doesn't seem to want to cede this ground? The enemy is not willing to say, well, God can be the creator, but I don't want, I, I'm not going to accept anything else. He's not willing to do that. So why should we be willing to say, well, God doesn't have to be the creator, but he can be all these other things. Apparently, that central ground is vital and important. Right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start by looking at uh, basically working through certain sections of a a systematic theology, classic systematic Mm -hmm. theology, and see what these doctrines do 
to what the church has traditionally and always and essentially believes. And I think that when you see that this philosophy of Darwinism, shall we say, evolution is the shorthand we're using here. When you see the kind of fruit that it bears, it should cause a Christian to say, I don't want anything to do with a philosophy that produces this kind of fruit, especially when the word has told me something that is different than what you're saying. And I cannot perhaps answer your scientific objections, but I have spiritual objections to what this produces. So I'm willing to suspend my acceptance of these things especially since the word has already told me something different. So let's exactly. let's do this. We're going to start. Uh, we've already hit this one quite a bit, so I don't want to spend so much time on it. And if you don't know, a systematic theology is a, a the attempt to look at the entirety of the Bible and produce a systematic theology, meaning a doctrine of just about everything that the Bible speaks about. And there's, there's classic categories, and we're going to go through a few. And the first one is bibliology. This is the doctrine of the Bible. So, Zach, this is a pretty obvious one. If you're going to accept evolution the way a Darwinist presents it to you, what does that automatically do for your doctrine of the Bible? Well, you you now have a, a small problem, which is that you have an ever-expanding black hole beginning at the right at the beginning of the New Testament that starts to eat your bibliology and your inerrancy. And you have to now decide how far are you going to let that encroach, right? Some people will say, well, that goes to Genesis 11. And after that, I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to, no, no, no. Everything after Genesis 11 is legitimate and inerrant. I don't, I'll just be kind and say, I don't understand why that would be logically or through bibliology. Why do you get to draw an, a, a line and say, well, only the first chapter, 11 chapters of Genesis. And of course, unfortunately what happens is it doesn't stay there. It begins like termites, you know, it's like saying, well, the termites are only in one post of the porch, so we're good. No, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> um, it, it doesn't stay there. And what begins to happen is once you have accepted the idea that God God might have wanted to give us a Bible, but it kind of has this this thing that's not really actually how it was. He just he just wants it there for symbolic reasons. That that will apply to basically anything in Scripture at that point. And, and I, I want to be careful how I express this. Godly and intelligent people know that to be true. Once they make the compromise in Genesis 1 through 11, they know logically that it makes sense that this also should work for other things that we don't, that are difficult to understand. And if the culture begins to say, you know what, also in addition to origins, we have an issue with the book of Joshua. In addition to origins, we have an issue with, you know, the, the with the Mosaic law. In addition to origins, you, it's, it's, you're fighting this slow retreat where gradually you're giving up more and more ground. Why? Because you've already accepted the idea that, the, there are errors yeah, it, it, in the Bible, it, or at the least, God has obfuscated the truth. And we talked about this so much in our in our talk about you know inerrancy and, and the canon is that this is why this is an important issue. The canon is is it's not secondary to say well maybe there's some mistakes because then the question becomes well how do you get to determine what's a mistake and what's authoritative? Yeah, so you hold this belief. What what you are saying is when it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth is without form and void. And the spirit of God is moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness night. And that was morning and evening. And it was the first day. None of that's true. Right. Like you, you have to come to it. It says God created Adam and Eve out of the dust and took a rib from Adam. Well, that, that must be a fable. That must be a folktale that somehow made its way into the Bible. Never mind that the Bible builds doctrine on it later. Never mind that the Bible certainly treats it like it was real. Right. Never mind that 
geneticists have found out there must be some kind of primordial Eve that we all come from. Never mind that everything in, in the universe can be traced backward to a single point of beginning. Never mind all that. The text is wrong. Mm-hmm. You've introduced that at least in one rather significant point, the very beginning, literally, that the Bible is not right and accurate and inerrant in everything that it asserts factually. And it is just a hop, skip, and a jump. And it doesn't always happen this way, but it happens enough that it worries me that people who believe this stuff, they start to not only deny that the Bible is inerrant in its factual claims, they deny the Bible's infallibility in its moral and spiritual claims. And it starts with this little wedge that is brought in this teeny little crack that gets in your windshield, you know, and then every time you go over a bump, it gets a little bit larger. And you, you start to say, well, the Bible was wrong here. Where else is it wrong? Where else might it be wrong? And then you get these academics that are very accommodating to these these godless uh, false theologians and false teachers because they themselves are afraid to come out and overtly say, no, the Bible is inerrant in everything that it states because they know immediately they're going to come back and say, so you believe that God literally made the world in six days? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem. So it starts to mess with your doctrine of bibliology. Uh, the next thing, and by the way, Uh, Peter said, let me pull this up. He's specifically referencing uh, the gospel when he made this, he made this statement here, Peter did. Uh, But I'm going to read this. Um, Second Peter 116, Peter writes, for we did not follow cleverly devised Mm -hmm. myths. Right. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So many people are like, the Bible was never intended to be read literally. It was meant to be read as as myth. You know, that doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means that it's a different kind of true. The ultimate postmodern statement, right? You sound like you're trying to make it sound like we're going back to back to basics and back to the, you know, the ancient way of looking at things, and you're instead looking at it as the newest, hottest way of looking at it. But Peter like, give him a break. He knew what a myth was. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. They knew what these things were. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. this is not how we did it. And that's mm. the same same author who said that those that wrote were carried along by the Spirit of God. Mm. Like, if you, you can't believe that. You have to believe that these poor, dumb apostles didn't know the difference between miracles and, and mental health issues. Like, it's... You, you mess with the doctrine of the Bible. It's the, it's the first thing. So, of course. Uh, by, which is why so many people are like really excited that uh, we've mentioned him several times, but guys like Jordan Peterson or whoever are talking about the Bible as this mythological foundation for our society. That's not enough. God is not mocked. God is a jealous God. And he's like, don't you come up and evaluate my word according to its utility. And by the way, all these you know? secular guys who are reading scripture, they, they do exactly this. Yes, is that they they one hundred percent? We know it can't be use, literally true because yeah, of evolution. They use a mythological framework, and if they're asked, "Well, do you believe any of this?" they immediately start saying, "Well, what do you mean by what do you mean by believe? What do you mean that it's true? It's a different, like you said, it's a different kind of true." To which I just throw up my hands and I'm like, "Guys, if there's anything in scripture that's a different kind of true, I'll sleep in on Sunday morning." Yeah, you know what I mean. Like either this is true in a way that binds me and and is real and inter in, true in a way that what do you mean? What kind of true? The the true kind, the kind that interacts <laughs> with the real world, the kind like the yes. law of gravity, that kind. If it's not true in that way, then I don't have time. You know. Well, that's why Paul said in First uh, Corinthians fifteen about the resurrection. He said, if if, we, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we right. are of all people most to be pitied. Right. And, and so people will say, well, yes, that kind of dogged insistence upon the truth applies to the resurrection because it's Jesus, but it doesn't have to necessarily be the rest of it to say nothing of the fact that Jesus only affirmed the Old Testament. Right. But Including also, how many times have you seen it 
where it doesn't stop there. Mm. They say, we can question everything except for the New Testament or everything except the resurrection, except the gospel. Well, you stop there, but there's a million more people that don't stop there and that keep going, which tells me that when you introduce this stuff, it starts bearing bad fruit. So that's one doctrine. Number two is the doctrine of anthropology. The Bible teaches us in, in the early chapters of Genesis that God created the whole world with the word of his mouth. Let there be, God said, and there was. But when it comes to Adam, it says God formed him out of the dust of the ground. God knelt down in the dirt, formed man, and then breathed on him the breath of life. It's an incredibly intimate and tender picture. It says God created male and female in his own image. He created them. That that... The, that is the doctrine of anthropology for, for Christians. We believe that we are made in the image of God. It's not that we are God. It's not that we're semi-divine. It means that we are made like him. We are separate from the rest of creation. We're not like the beasts. We're not like the stars. We're not like the, the grass. There's something unique. There is the breath of life in us that God gave us that includes, among other things, the ability to reason, the ability to feel, the ability to engage with our spirit. It carries ideas of dominion. It carries ideas of power and the authority and representing God on the earth, that that is an incredibly high anthropology that Christians have. Right, right, right. You introduce evolution to this, and Zach, what have you done? This this is what, if, if the first one, if the biology is like a cancer where it's like you've got it, but you don't know that it's going to kill you until it starts to kill you like really fast, right? Like I think early on in the 1800s, people were like, we can just add this to, and it won't affect anything. And now it's starting to kill parts of the church. Even though the people that were pushing this early on, you guys, knew full well what they were doing. Of course. They, they knew this was going to blow up the church, and that's why many of them picked it, it up and ran with it. They said it clearly. They, they, they said the quiet part out loud. They said, this means that, that God doesn't matter anymore. Anyway. This is the end of the church. Of course. Now, now this stuff, the anthropology stuff, I think is the one that makes more of a loud, splashy impact. If you've ever, maybe, maybe you've seen a, a believer that you love, and you know that they're trying to, they're trying to teach from the Bible. They're trying to reach out to a lost world, but you hear them engaging with somebody who's living in flagrant, you know, gross sin. And you wonder why can't they both see that they're just talking right past each other? Like he, she says, but I want to, but I want to live in a same sex relationship. And, and why do you think that's wrong? And he says, well, the Bible says it's wrong and you can't. And, and they just don't seem to even be able to talk to each other because they're not, it's like, they're talking about two different things. This is why they have two totally different anthropologies. A person who has an anthropology that comes from Darwinism believes that they are literally a, a walking, you know, piece of meat that they, they came from, you know, distant eons from a, a accidental chaotic reaction of chemicals. And that when they die, nothing will happen. No, the universe will not care. They'll disappear as if they were never here. That person has such a low anthropology that anything they do in their body means nothing. Why would it matter what they did with their body? They're literally going to die and be scattered to dust and nothing will ever happen. They, they don't believe that you can't have a soul in that anthropology, truly. Like if you really carry out this understanding, you can't have a soul. There can't be life after death. There can be nothing except just what you experience in the flesh. So logically, why would they not try and experience the most they could experience. Yeah. And and when we as Christians, we we fail to actually reach them and love them when we just sit there and, and I'm not, look, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't teach from the word. I'm not saying you don't hold up God's standard, but you have to understand that God's standard begins with an understanding of who you are 
who God made you to be. The well, standard the doctrines is, of Scripture build on each other. Exactly. Like you arrive at these ideas, God made you special and loves you very much. You build up to that from the fact that God created you in the image of and God. You lose that, then you, you're scrambling to figure out why do we believe this and again? And we can see this in Scripture. When Paul, went, when Paul was on the Areopagus, and again, I remember Ken Ham used to teach us all the time. He said, you're teaching here. He said, you're teaching like you're talking to Jews, but you're talking to Greeks. What did he mean by that? When Paul was on the Areopagus, he was going outside of his culture. It's in Athens. And he went to the Greeks, right? Now, now when Paul was with the Jews, Paul would immediately get down to the nitty gritty. He would say, Jesus is the Messiah. You you crucified him. We've made a mistake, brothers. He would talk within his family, basically, about the, the deep issues of who Jesus was. Paul did not start there when he went and talked to the Greeks. And he also didn't start by looking at the flagrant and disgusting Greek decadence and pointing at it and saying, don't you understand? It's wrong for for horrifying sexual sins to be. It's wrong for you to be drunk. It's wrong for you to be, you know, violent in the way you're being. He didn't start there either. He pointed at an at a idol that was in a corner to the unknown God. And he said, I would like to explain to you about the unknown God. He made the world. Now, why yeah, did Paul, he starts with creation. Why did Paul Isn't start? Interesting. And why did Paul start there? He knew that if he was able to explain to them that he knew the God who made the world, a lot of the problems in Greek culture that came from them believing that you couldn't know who made the world or that the world was made by titans in, in, the, in the past who you could not really even talk to or understand— all yeah, of a sudden, interesting apologetics there too. Yeah, it, well, it really is, right? So all of a sudden, he says, "Now we can have a conversation." By Paul doing that to me, it's very important to understand that. And this is what you know, Ken Ham would talk about all the time. He said, "If you start as if these people understand sin, right?" He said, "If you start yelling at people, you're a sinner." What does sin mean outside of a of a godly anthropology? Nothing. What is sin? Like how can you how can you explain that I should or shouldn't act in any way if I am basically a chimpanzee? You can't tell a chimpanzee they shouldn't rape. Yeah, you know I know that's a, I'm being a little gross, but no, like but, but you but see it's this. A, it's, it's an here's animal. a great example. You, you no, see this you know. most clearly in the abortion conversation. Yes, that's exactly right. Whenever you see, there's all yeah. kinds of man on the street interviews about this, and it always falls apart at the same place. Where and this is where you know a lot of conservatives feel like they've owned the libs and you kind of have, but they don't understand that they've been owned mm -hmm. because you're completely talking past each other. And this is the sticking point, right. which whenever you keep on coming to that same point in a conversation, that's where the conversation needs to be had. Mm -hmm. Not in the parts where you both know what to say, but where one or both of you kind of loses the other. That's yep. where you need to be talking. Somebody says, it's not a baby. It's a clump of cells. Right. And then you say, when does it stop being a clump of cells? They say, when it's born. And then a good apologist or evangelist or whatever activist will say, so you're telling me that just coming from inside to outside makes it a person? Mm -hmm. Explain that to me. And then usually somebody will either get mad and yell at you. They'll laugh condescendingly like, oh, you just don't understand, which is, you know, people that know the answer to questions don't laugh condescendingly. They answer, <laughs> right, right? Right, right, But then, or they'll just say, I, uh, 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 I, well, you're just you. You want to you want to take away women's rights to choose? Like they go right back to another slogan. Right. But th that's that's the point where the conversation needs to be had. There is no naturalist, evolutionist, Darwinist answer to that question. There is no difference. Right. That's and that's the foundation. And there are some very wicked but very honest evolutionists yes, that agree with that. Like there is no difference. That's why who cares if we euthanize people? Yeah. Who cares if we? kill off a few extra poor people. Who cares if we remove the undesirables? If the climate is is you know going crazy, why not just kill off a few thousand million Africans? Because 
You know, whatever. There's no difference between the kangaroo rat and the baby. And we say that's horrifying. And so do most atheists, naturalists, evolutionists. But what we want to emphasize is, but you have no philosophical reason to ascribe dignity to a person. Lawrence Krauss, very famous, very obnoxious atheist. (laughs) Uh, He probably would even agree with that himself, but he is. He, He gave that famous stardust speech that you've probably seen on TikTok or something like that, where he's like, in the beginning, not God, but stardust. We're made up the same thing that made up the stars at the beginning of humanity. And and when you die, your, your cells are going to pass and become stars. Isn't that beautiful? It's like, no, it's not beautiful. Mm. That means, oh, I'm the same thing as a star. You're also the same thing as a bullfrog. You're also the same thing as the excrement of that bullfrog. There's no difference between you and that. That's pantheism. That's a scientific pantheism. That's what Hindus believe, which is why it sounds all great over here in the States. But you go over there and you say that child is worth no more than the fleas on the child's head. Like you cannot have a high anthropology unless you just posit one by fiat. Say, we believe that humans have value. Say, why? And let me be because we want to have value, yes, but exactly. you, what you've done is they're they're holding the same doctrine that the church taught them, but they've removed the foundation for it, and so you see it crumbling. Well, and and this happened at a rapidly, you know, metastasizing scale during the 20th century. Like the the history of the 20th century is the history of people recognizing the logic of Darwinism and carrying it to its extreme. But, you know, everywhere you look, if you want to understand what the fruits of Darwinism are, you, you should look at the, the the death camps in Germany and, and the, the pogroms and the, the re-education facilities and, and the gulags the in the Soviet fields. Union and the killing fields. Like that's that is what Darwinism does. What do I mean by that? I'm not just I'm not just slandering. I, I'm being technical. Those peoples. Took the logic of Darwinism and said, if this is true. If it is true that people are not made in the image of God, that we are made in the image of, you know, whatever other organisms, if we are engaged in an eternal struggle against each other for the betterment of the species, then accelerating the struggle to produce the fittest organisms is what people are to do. That's what found uh, founded, uh, so energized the eugenics movement. Yes. We got to kill the course. poor people. That's what we'll get right to Planned Parenthood and all these other yeah. horrific institutions. Like we're going to castrate the poor and we're going to kill the babies so that and they're not by the because way, this is what's going to be better. We're going to get rid of all these inferior beings and then humanity as a whole be better off. We're now that we know what evolution is, we can take an active hand in it whereas before it would only happen passively and that's that's where the master race came from yes. with, with Hitler. Uh that's where all these these people were energized Darwinists. And I want to be really clear. I'm not being conspiratorial when I say that. I'm not like linking up the things that if you just look at it this way, you can see that this is what these people said. They they said in their writings, in their speeches, in their in in who they were, they said, what we are doing is the project of raising humanity evolutionarily to the next level. Who was the the um is it Margaret Sanger, the, the really like, crazy, racist, reprehensible eugenicist? Margaret from, Sanger, like, yeah, who, who but basically one of the fo- original founders. I of think there's another one, though. Like, there was another, like... Well, there were many. Like, but, they, yeah. we're just going to find ways to kill extra people. Like, yes. that was their solution. Yes. And 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 you, you also need to understand that there are thinkers today that are being honest in this same way. They're, they're, I just finished the, reading... Uh, what are they, antinatalists? Is that the what they're anti-natalists, called? Antinatalists, or I just finished reading a book from... Um, uh, Oh goodness, he he wrote a book called Homo Deus, Noah Yuval Hariri, who's a modern 
atheist thinker who literally in his book was saying, yes, I understand that the last time we tried to run societies through Darwinism, we made the Nazis, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can try it again. You read some grim stuff, man. Right, well, you know, it's out there. <laughs> you so, really do read some so, grim but, stuff. I mean, literally, you and Joel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> our friend Joel, man, is like a glutton for punishment. Yeah. He only ever reads but, miserable books. So I'm saying this just to, to help you understand. I'm not, I'm not just being crazy when I link darwinism to these things th th these people took these ideas and said if that is true the next logical step is and and again these people also exist today if we can abort children why does a two-year-old ha have have the the same value and faculty like why why, did, why can we not remove them from society if we choose Assisted and i know that's suicide all, yes part, another part and of i know that, that's right? a horrible thing to talk about but as a christian i just want to point out to you maybe if you're flirting I say, flirt, if you're struggling with this idea and you're wondering, well, why why can't I just accept this scientific idea? The revulsion in your spirit that you feel when I say that comes from an understanding of pe who people are that is only possible through a biblical anthropology. Yeah. You cannot get to that place, that revol that feeling of anger and horror when I would talk about something as awful as killing any person, you know, just, just removing them because you chose to. You only feel that because of the image of God inside you. If you remove that, scientifically say, no, that's not true. The natural the natural consequence of that is people who have what we see in, in Revelation, or not Revelation, I'm sorry, what, where's the verse where it says they'll, they'll become you know, disobedient to parents and brawlers and it's mockers? It's in uh, Second and, Timothy. That's a natural ex extension of these ideas. Now, and we see it in our, in our world today. When people don't believe that they possess anything unique in themselves, in their body of who they are of, of God, then why would they not harm one another? Why would they not debase themselves and, and alter the image of God within them? And there's no reason not to. Now, what, what Christians will do, and I, I do mean Christians, I'm not being, you know, sarcastic right. yeah. here. What they will say is, well, we can still believe that man was created in God's image, but deny the story that the Bible tells about how humanity came about. You very well may... But, you know, sure. I, I, you look at mere Christianity where uh, C.S. Lewis posits the idea that, well, the monkeys were evolving right along until one day the Lord decided to elevate one of their conscience and give them the breath of life. To which I would say that is entirely speculative. Right. And you are saying, I want to arrive at the same place the Bible gives me, but I don't want to use the story the Bible gave me. Right. And Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'm also going to point you to Romans chapter 1, where Paul, describing where sin comes from, uh, he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He says, sin basically comes from suppression of the truth. What truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine yes. nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. And skipping down a little bit, uh, by, Paul says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Mm -hmm. And what, what Paul is connecting there is the rise of shameful, terrible sin to a refusal to acknowledge God as creator. Yep. And I'm not saying that every Christian that, that believes in evolution believes this, but I'm, what the Bible is saying is this is kind of important. Mm -hmm. The whole, you know, th that's that's satanic thinking. The idea that people are just mud balls yeah. that God put in charge of a bigger mud ball who are nothing better than you know cannon fodder for hell. 
That's satanic thinking, and that's what you introduce into your theology when you think this way. So I want to move on to, we've already kind of touched on this next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, the doctrine of hamartiology, meaning the doctrine of sin. Hamartia is the Greek word for sin. So hamartiology is the study of sin. The Bible tells us in Genesis that death entered the world, and not just Genesis. Paul makes this point, Romans, Peter makes this point, Jesus makes this point. Sin, death entered the world because of sin. When men sinned, death came in as a judgment, that it came in as judgment upon mankind for their sins. But Zach, if you do not hold to creation as the book of Genesis describes it, why, where do you suddenly have a problem with this doctrine of sin? Well, why would you, like, <laughs> it's, I'm not laughing at anybody, I'm just saying it, it just, it's so sad to me to see how hard you would have to fight to hold on to these things if you don't, like, why? This why, is like the big one, Yeah, in my like, wh- this why is, big is it? Deal. Why is it that we would be able to be judged for the exact same thing that our ancestors did all of the time? Like, that's what, that's what the Darwinistic story is, is that nature red in tooth and claw, right? Like you, every everything we see is how it always has been. There has never been a time where the, the whole, all of the organisms have not survived by brutalizing one another. But you're saying at some point that brutality and selfishness and total depravity became bad for us to do now. Well, why? And also, when was that? Because it's very, and and this comes down to a very, may sound like a too fine point for you, but when God created in in Genesis, it says he called it very good. And there's some believers who say, yes, yes, God created and called it very good, but through this process of evolution. So which part of the depravity and the destruction and the animals brutalizing one another so that some of them could survive and some couldn't, which part of that was God calling very good? Yeah, I, I, what you're doing is you're completely you're, you're saying the Bible was wrong. Well, I mean, that yeah, death entered the world. Let me read from Romans five. Yeah, read from Romans five. Uh, Paul says in Romans five twelve, just as sin came into the world through one man right. and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Meaning, sin entered the world because of Adam, and that's it been passed on to before. us. It was right. passed on to us. Yes, but we also all sinned. So it's mm-hmm. not like you're an innocent victim. Like you do it too. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Here it is. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So for if for the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one's trespass, much more of the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. All right? For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus. He says in verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death. He's saying sin came into the world because of Adam, and because of sin came death, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what God told Adam and Eve in the garden. The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Right. Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall surely die. This is the Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But if you are going to say that before the Garden of Eden, if you even believe in the Garden of Eden, that there are some that try to have it both ways and they're believers, but I think they're wrong. You say, well, death has always been a part of life. Ever since that first amoeba split off and then eventually died, like that's what happened. That's how you get mutation. The evolution is the process of, of, uh, 
improvement through death. Yes, the de- right. You got to die off and make another generation so that it can be improved. And then eventually you say, well, yeah, that there were some people that God chose. And if you're going to try to take a more Christian view of this, you say that at some point, yeah, God elevated their souls and he told them not to do that anymore. But that means that death was not not reigning in the world because of sin. Death has always been there. Right. That when Paul says in Romans 8 that the world is groaning because of sin, that's not true. It's always been that way because of So what is death then? Death is like Yoda says. It's a natural part of life. It's just, exactly right. it's what it is. You shouldn't look at it as a bad thing. You should learn to accept it as, you know, just going back to the where you came, not as a tragedy, just something that you've got to learn to get over. Uh, you this doctrine of evolution completely guts what sin even is. Yeah, if, if the the Bible says the last enemy is death, and yeah. and and Darwinism says death is the tool. Darwinism says death, death is, is, is good, everything. It's necessary. Yeah, death is existence. And then you know, Christianity attempting to accommodate Darwinism says death is a tool of creation, but that's not. What scripture says, scripture never refers to that. It, it's always the enemy. It's always the alien and the intruder. And this really comes down to you guys. Like when you, again, we talked, we talked about this briefly before, but when, if you feel like you've talked to a loved one or a person on the street and you've gotten to this block where you're like, I can't even get them to understand that, that they should listen to what anyone would say about their behavior. This is what you're, this is what you're encountering. A person who believes in a Darwinistic worldview why would there be any bridle on their activity or their behavior? That's right. And and if you've and I want to or say this Or at the very gently, least, what what can you say to stop somebody? Of course, you can make a moral stand, but how can what objective stance do you have other than like force and fiat to say that somebody's wrong for and doing that's, wrong? This is this is why. Remember, we talked about the Nazis for a reason. This is why people like Nietzsche and then people who listen to the school of Nietzsche, you know. This is why they said, yeah, well, if, if that's what the world is, then all that matters is that I'm strong enough to do whatever I want. And that is true, according to Darwin. Like, that is what life is. And I, I want to gently say maybe to my older brothers and sisters in the faith, too, we need to stop being surprised at the results of this. I'm really, I don't want to say I'm tired, but it, it saddens me to see people wringing their hands over, oh, I just I just can't understand why someone would shoot up a school. I can't understand why two men would sleep together. I can't understand. I can understand. It's very simple. They've been raised from birth with the ideas and the doctrines that they mean nothing, that their life means nothing, and that and that they are literally a, a process of random chance. Why would they not a explain on a to spec. me? Yeah, explain to me why a person. It's a shock to me that people who believe that don't shoot up schools. Yeah, like like I love to um, you know I love to quote the uh, the Rick and Morty episode, which is the yeah. famous line. And it's a it's a comedy show, so I understand that it's uh, you know it's trying to be funny. But if you've known folks that watch this show, they take it very seriously. Yes, they do, and they they it is held up as somebody that is speaking honest philosophy, mm-hmm. like but with a, a humorous edge. And the the line that he says is. Uh, Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. We're all going to die. So let's go watch TV. It's kind of like, look, life is terrible and miserable yeah. and existence is horrifying. Just try to enjoy yourself. That That's also, uh, what's the, the famous book? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Very funny, but it's also incredibly miserable. Like they, they said, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the book on the front has the big words, don't panic. Because once you realize what the universe is, you'll just panic at how miserable and terrible everything is. But 
that that death is the natural state of life, not an intrusion, not an enemy. And we're going to continue on to the fourth thing here is that it starts to affect your soteriology, which is a doctrine of salvation. What exactly was Jesus saving us from then? You know, what, what if he mm-hmm. is trying to deliver us from death, the resurrection? Well, death has always been that. Why did God create a world full of miserable death that one day I'm going to have to come in and fix this and it's going to cost the death of my only son? I'm just going to make it that way. Instead of, well, I'm going to create a world with choice. They're going to make the wrong choice and it's going to lead to this so that I might have a legitimate relationship with these people. And there are... Countless Christians that believe in evolution and also believe in the salvation of Jesus. But what I'm trying to explain to you is that theologically, it is nonsense. If this has always been the way that it is, then what exactly was Jesus dying to save us from? And then not only that, this is what Paul says in Romans 1, that denial of Christ or God as creator is what leads to the degradation of the body and leads to sin. And that's why the wrath of God was poured out, which Jesus had to stand in the gap to take for us. But, you know, we're, you you got all of these doctrines. I'm going to bring this, this section to a close here before we move on. You, you might hear this and you might be saying, might even be offended. I know folks that have gotten offended by this. And they'll say, look, you can say that, but I believe the Bible. And I believe that we're made in the image of God. I believe in sin. I believe that Christ died on the cross to save us from sure, death. Of course. Okay. I'm glad you do. You should. And I'm grateful that you're able to hold those two things in your head at the same time. But here's what I will tell you. And you you have to agree with me on this because there's no other way around it. Countless millions of people are unable to do that. They see this doctrine yeah, of evolution. Right, they right, see right. what it does to the gospel and to the Bible and it rips it up. And they say, then why would I believe any of this? Right. And even the previous generations that said, that had the word of God drilled in their head a little harder, taught their kids, yeah, believe this stuff, but they believe the Bible too. One generation at a time, they said, well, why would I do that though? That doesn't make any sense. To yep. now you've got a group that doesn't care what the Bible has to say or doesn't even know because they, this, this, you can't deny this. This was the issue that ripped up the scripture. Tied together with a desire to sin and all the rest of it. This was the issue. This is what is causing your kids to run away from the faith. This is is what rose up all these people that are shaming them and mocking them and and propagandizing them. It all goes back to this at some point. This, we chose to build a society on this rather than scripture. We thought we could keep it the same way and we can't, which is why I'm telling you, according to what Jesus said in Matthew, you ought to open your eyes and say, what is it about this stuff that is causing all of this? And if you are a supernaturalist, you believe in this, the Bible, you believe in God, it should cause you to say, that's bad fruit. It's only bearing bad fruit. It must be a wolf ravaging the flock because the flock is being ravaged. Is this where we start to go off on our rant about colleges? Am I good to go or do I need to say well, that? This whole thing has been a rant against colleges. <laughs> fair, fair. And, I'm not, and um, not, not everybody goes through that. No. But everybody, you know, if you don't have a really strong foundation, which we as youth leaders tried very hard to instill in our, our students, and I think we did a good job with that as well as we could, but you're going to get up and you're going to get, you're going to be force-fed this stuff. I want to talk about that for a minute, actually, Tyler, because I, this is a thing that I've, I've come to realize over the last couple of years, like you said, through youth ministry, through walking with my own kids, through unpacking some of this with my dad as he w- is, is now in church ministry again, and, and he's asked, you know, we're talking together about like, okay, what so strategically, like, what are we doing here when people encounter this or that? And one of the things that I think I came to that I'm, I'm getting more and more confident of is... 
as parents, I believe that this is one of the issues that you must be attacking early with your children. And, and there's a reason for that. This issue of evolution and, and worldviews and origins and basically, do you, do you believe the universe is meaningless and terrible and maybe staple Jesus on for fun, or do you believe that what God says about the universe is what is true? This becomes what's what we would call, I guess, Tyler, the red pill issue for people when they enter school. And what do I mean by red pill? If you're familiar with the movie The Matrix, it's not important other than just for this analogy. In in the film, the 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 it's a it's actually a movie with a lot of nihilistic and spiritual content. So in the film, the character takes either a red or a blue pill. The red pill will show them what the world is really like and they'll under, they'll really finally understand and they won't be able to go back. But the blue pill will let them just kind of put them back to sleep and they can just keep believing the fairy tales they've been believing about the world. For many, many young people who have entered the secular world, the first time that someone tells them something that sounds plausible and scary about origins that they were not taught about when they were younger, that becomes their red pill that once they begin that, once they think, you know what, nobody ever told me about that. What else did nobody tell me about? Nobody ever told me that scientists thought the the earth was billions of years old and they, here's, here's a guy who wrote a paper about it. Well, if that's if that if that part of the Bible isn't true, what else? Wait, now this guy says that that you know the way that we understand the brain means that we can't believe that that people sin or make mistakes because it's all just hardwired in there. Well, what else isn't true? So you can see what I'm saying is that, that one experience of being and and this is what I why I call it a red pill thing, being introduced to a truth that you've never heard before. Very often, these truths are poorly, ex- truths, even truths so-called, they're half-truths, they're poorly explained, they're, they're dumb and silly, what we would call YouTube arguments, but because that young person has never been introduced to the question before, they don't know that it's a silly argument. They don't know that the church has answers for these things, that scripture has answers for things, they don't know that. And therefore, they're led astray very quickly, and it's very difficult to unpack those things for them once they begin that process of pulling the thread and saying, wait a second, I've been lied to. Now, the answer, I think, for this is very simple. You as a parent need to be the one building the world for your kids. You can't give that task to somebody else. No. You, you can't when you're sitting there watching National Geographic and they start to say, well, you know, for millions, it's always David At- Attenborough's sweet, silky voice. Right? For, for billions of years, yeah. the penguins have waddled across the Antarctic exactly. circle. Now, there's two strategies that I've seen parents take, and I think they're both bad. Some parents just turn the show off. Well, that's bad. That's evo- that's bad. It's bad. It's evolution. OK, that's that's a thing. Right? I can see what you're doing there. But what you're doing is you're denying your kid the opportunity to learn that, number one, this viewpoint exists. If you take that opportunity away, they're going to learn it in college. And you don't want that to be the first time they learn about evolution. Trust me. Or you can you can just let it play and just kind of say, oh, you know, yeah, um, yeah, whatever. Or, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's that's a, that's what people think about science. And your children will begin to put together, you know, mom and dad want me to believe the Bible, but they also don't know anything about this. Yeah, this is what I saw a lot in youth ministry is... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some people have very strong opinions about how to school your kids. Sure, uh, that's that's fine. But let me just say this: many parents will say, "All right, I'm going to send my kids to a Christian school because I don't I don't want them to be taught this stuff." Sure, enough. I get it, totally get it. Yeah. Many other parents say, "I want my kids to be homeschooled. I don't want anybody else teaching my kids but me." All right, I get that too. Yeah. Other parents have said, 
I'm not going to cede the public school ground so quickly. I'm going to teach my kids how to stay there and how to fight. Great. I get that too. Here's what I learned as a youth pastor and as I continue to get older and observe things. It does not matter how you school your kids if you are going to punt on somebody else teaching your kids about what's important. Some of the most depraved, like criminal (laughs) children that I came across were the homeschooled kids. Not all of them, but sometimes. Because the parents kind of thought that homeschooling was set it and forget it. Yep. Oh, they're being homeschooled now. We've done everything we need to do to protect them. And kids become drug dealers and all the rest of it. I'm <laughs> yes. serious about that. No, that's that. true. I, I know the kids and are talking some about. some of the kids yeah. that went to the public schools, they were the strongest in their faith because yeah. the parents took the time to prepare them every day and send them out in, in the name of Jesus. Yep. Yeah, and so... You have your strong opinion about that, but recognize that whatever you do, you've got to be discipling your children. Yeah. And churches need to be discipling their children and discipling their teens and, and all the rest of this and, and taking special care to look out for them. And, you know, if you're going to send them to one of these schools, you've got to have long conversations with your kids about this. Prep them for it. And not just Te- one. Teach them to be a little spunky. Yeah. Here, you know, I I've said this before, and I might have said it on the podcast. I'll, I'll just say the short version. When did everybody When did everybody become such a teacher's pet? Like when I was growing up, yeah. maybe it's because I you know grew up in the '90s. You know, it was like backwards hat skateboarding man, rebel. Man. But it's like yeah. your teachers are propagandizing you. The teachers are lying to you. School is propaganda. So you show up, and even if the teacher, you know, when we would hear teachers say, you know, marriage is just a social construct, you'd be like, yeah, because you're just a lonely old lady and you don't know anything, right? So it's because <laughs> your wife stepped out on you, right, man? Like that was kind of the baseline attitude. Yeah. And then somewhere it like pivoted, where like. People that learned something like six weeks ago in freshman seminar are the most vicious proponents of it. Mm. And you've got to teach your kids. Like, yes, listen to your teachers. It's kind of like when Jesus said, the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses. So listen to them, but don't imitate them. Right. You've got to to teach this. So that's a a conversation that doesn't happen. Uh, You know, we can wrap this up, but that's a conversation that doesn't happen, guys, one time. This is, it's like the Bible says, you sit with your children, you walk with your children. My, my kids, when we, we, my kids don't, when we watch TV, we talk over the TV all the time in my house. Like we, that's what we do is just, if something goes on, I'll ask them, well, what do you think about that? And they'll say, well, that's not true because of this. And I, oh, okay. And we'll, we'll talk about it. You cannot be afraid of these conversations as a parent. You may be coming to the same, but I don't know about this stuff. That's fine. You, you know I more just, than they do. Yeah. Not only do you know more than they do, but <laughs> I, I'll just gently say, this is your job now. Yeah, if you want to raise kids in a society where these things are being questioned, this is your new job: is to be willing to go into these battlegrounds where we're facing, and you have to bone up. You can't be scared and say, "Well, that's a I I don't want to talk about you know where how we trust the Bible because I'm afraid." Because guys, I love you. You can't be afraid for your own faith in that conversation. You have to be ready to go, and and that's part of the reason why we do this is to yeah. show you. That's this why we're guys. We're glad you guys are listening. This, to this isn't to... scary. This is stuff that you can do. Most of these things. I say this gently, most of the things that shipwreck the faith of young kids going into college are not only simple questions, but they're questions that there are have been fantastic answers to for thousands of years. Right. And that's why, you know, today we're looking at some of the theological aspects of this, but yeah. you know, which is today's topic could be, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. But yeah, right. uh, but 
this is why we get the scientists on. That's why mm-hmm. we get those guys to come in and tell you the the answers. And I encourage you to go seek them out. Go look at Answers in Genesis. Go look at Jason Lyle's ministry. Go look at the Institution for Creation Research. Yeah. Like, go get into it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to come across some weird people and some strange bedfellows and guys that believe that, you know, the moon is made of cheese and all the rest of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's because you're an outsider on this issue. And yeah. you're going to come across more outsiders. But don't let that deter you because here's what's at risk. I want to talk now, we're talking about bad fruit that this is born. And we've looked at like the objective answer, which mm-hmm. is here's why we believe this is objectively wrong. But now we're talking, Jesus said, you'll tell a false teaching by its fruit. What are some of the fruits of these things? You already hit on it. But first of all, we've looked at the devastated faith. If, if, if an idea can rip the church to pieces like this one has, the church ought to immediately say, whoa, 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 no, we're, we're, opposed to this as a matter of principle. Yeah. And rather than saying, well, I mean, they've got some good points, that's because it's deception, you guys. The sa- when Satan levels all of his uh, his arrows to deceive the church, you're going to have moments where you go, but what if they're right? Which in two generations, everybody's going to go, how could they ever think this was right? Because mm-hmm. you're living in it. Mm-hmm. But you got to stand firm on the word of God because anything that rips up the faith like this is and even if somebody is walking away from Jesus really because of a personal issue because of you know somebody died in their family and they're angry at God this will be the excuse they give all the time uh what about the cultural despair that we face that there's we're nobody going nowhere and so what is what is existence what is life anyway you know this this strange acceptance that people have especially related to the climate issue but on other things too it's like we just there's too many people they need to die lots of us are going to need to yeah. die that's going to have to happen and and you know what so what it's it's part of it or you you know when somebody can have an attitude like hey you know our our children are being are starving here it's like well you know it's probably for the best anyway like that's dis- that kind of despair how do you live with that or the people who make it their business to go around telling people life means nothing and nothing means anything and and stop acting like it does it's like what is this this is militant evangelistic despair that people have people being willing to rebuild their own bodies and and alter and blur who they are why why do you think people why is it that that is a sudden collapse of understanding of you know for for thousands of years that and i'm i'm being kind when i say this but for thousands of years that was a thing that was odd it it would happen in society but it was concerning it was troubling it was was odd until like Five years ago. Yes. Like but, six, seven years ago. Well, but I would say also increasingly these things have become open questions as the open question of, yeah, but what is a what is people anyway? Like, you can't come to the conclusion of what is gender anyway or if you don't already haven't settled the issue in your heart of, yeah, but what are, what are humans? Like who cares, right? Yeah, this really. is why the modern, the modern person who's not even a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. the political analyst, let's say, has a hard time answering these questions from the gender theorist because the postmodernist, remember, doesn't believe in objective fact. Right. He believes the only thing that exists is perception. Therefore, you have to adhere to my perception because you can't know anything about me unless I tell you, mm-hmm. right? Now, a modernist has a hard time responding to that because they believe, well, who cares anyway? Because it right. were all just dust on dust and if that's what makes them happy just let them do it and that's why they have a hard time pushing back against this stuff and that's why the church has largely taken up the mantle on this one because because we have an answer for that question right we know why 
You're wrong. You're in sin. And that's why it's so refreshing to so many people to be like, you know what? I never liked Christians much, but man, they sure know how to how to answer these questions. Yeah. And well, there's a reason we have a we we know where we came from. You, yes, we, there's, we, a, we know there's a the nobility right. to humanity that the Bible gives us. You know, we have a high Christology, a high bibliology. We also have a high anthropology. Mm. That humanity is something wonderful, made in the image of God, just a little lower than the angels, the Bible says in mm-hmm. one place. Just we're right there. That that's who we are. But, you know, I keep coming back to Romans 1 because it is really the passage on this subject. But Paul says that in when we rejected the Creator— and started serving the creature, whether that's yourself, whether that's idolatry, whatever. But he says that God gave us over to the dishonoring of our bodies. Yes. God says, if you believe that all you are is a body, I'm going to allow you to be tempted by things that are going to shame and dishonor you. It is shameful for a man to castrate himself Mm. and start dressing like a woman. It is shameful for a woman to have her breasts removed and start taking hormones so that she can grow facial hair. It's shameful. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. What if you, you're treating this beautiful thing that God gave you with disdain. And we say, how can people do this? Because when you push harder and harder on the fact that humanity is nothing, it's nothing except what we make of it. The Bible says God gives you over to shameful behavior, that it is the mark of a depraved society for them to start messing with idolatry and homosexuality because it is, you can't justify that even according to evolutionary standards, that this is not how, how creatures act. It's not how animals act, but we're going to act this way because we can't tell them they're wrong. That's the kind of shameful thing. And you look at how the rest of the world looks at Western, for example, this is Paul's example, so I'll use it, gender ideology. Even, you know, right now, I I realize I'm going to touch a hot button, but I'm just using it as an illustration, okay, guys? Even with the war in Ukraine and Russia, one of the statements that Vladimir Putin put out there, mm-hmm. the dictator of Russia, is said, we're going to invade Ukraine because we want to we want to protect our Eastern culture against this weird sexual thing that the West has. That cultures like China, who we are not fans of and hate the gospel, they say, if we want to weaken the U.S., we're going to continue to promote and pump all this weird gender stuff, but we're not going to do it here. We're not going to allow it on TikTok here, but we're going to artificially pump it up over there. You look at these African nations and what they say about homosexuality there. Like, no, it's illegal. You can't do that here. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And we look at it, oh, they're so backwards. When in reality, we're the ones that are the mockery and shame of the world. And what is the reason for that? Among other things, you have built it on a foundation of nothing. That nothing matters, nothing means anything, and the scientific justification for that kind of bleak, nihilistic worldview that is so reprehensible to us is evolution. So if you're going to continue to build a society on this and try to get a different result, you won't. Because this is the kind of fruit that that seed produces. And these, that's why, you know, we were joking earlier, but why do you read this kind of stuff? Uh, that's why these conversations are important is because we've known as Christians that this was coming for years. You read Francis Schaeffer, and Francis Schaeffer used to say, look, you've got to make these people depressed. He was being kind, but he's like, look, you, when people start... you got to push them. Yeah, he, he said, said, push them towards nihilism. I yeah, think he said, he put, said, hold their face to the void, is what he said. But, and what he meant by that is, he said, look, when people start telling you, look, God doesn't exist, 
and nothing was made or created and you're just a clump of cells, but it's okay because we can be kind to one another. That means you can be whatever you want. Right. Which is a prison, isn't it? Right. Of course. Like total liberty to libertinism is, is a prison. And he said, what you have to do is he said, you have to push them further than they're comfortable to show them that the two options that humanity is presented with are either subserving, you know, serving God or an absolute howling void of uh, who knows who knows what's real who knows what's right and yes and and to bring it right back to where we've been stating guys cuz I know we're sort of talking about atheism here but the the foundation the the so-called objective foundation that is pushing people towards this ideology yeah. is evolution of course. and and what many christians are saying and many progressive christians who i mean they're not even believers in many cases but also those that like they're really embarrassed of their fundamental brothers, mm. fundamentalist brothers. Mm. They say, look, I'm, you guys, people are so depressed. They are. They're so anxious. They are. They're yeah. so fearful. They are. They're so lost. You are. But we'll never get to talk to them if we're going to insist on creationism. So let's just learn how to accommodate evolution. We'll remove the biggest obstacle to their faith and then they'll get saved. Well, take a look at the denominations that have done that. How have they ended up? Yeah. Whenever I see some theologian that I respect saying something to the effect of, it's time for the church just to admit that we've been wrong on Genesis, stop making a big deal out of it, believe what you want, but don't talk about it because it's embarrassing. It's it's just like five minutes until that guy is going to be approving of various sins, or he's going to he's gonna say, I don't even know if you believe in inerrancy, or I believe we can have other other people that believe, other religions that have something to say, because it's the same road that countless people have walked. And here we are as admittedly non-scientific experts, although we have some of those on our side and on our podcast, right. waving their hands and saying, that way leads to destruction and death. And even if I can't tell you why, as a scientist, as a pastor and a Christian, I can say everybody I know who's gone down that road has shipwrecked their faith. Here there be monsters. Stop going that way. Oh, yeah. Pastorally. Yeah. Let, let's maybe we've been all on the on the big, you know, big, broad societal things. I'll just let me just maybe zoom way in now. Pastorally, this is the this is how this goes. I have total confidence, Pastor Lee, to say, brother or sister, if you are, if you're at the beginning stages of this, that you maybe, let's say you've been poorly taught. Let's be honest. Maybe you came through and you had a church that said, well, we don't want to talk about that. We that's divisive. That's weird. We don't need to get into all that. And so the first time you encountered this stuff, it's really shook or has, is shaking your faith. I want to encourage you. There are answers to these questions, but mind how you go about the questioning though. Because this is a path that does shipwreck people's faith. It does lead to total, you, you know, it, it, that's what the enemy wants to do. <laughs> He's a deceiver. He's a father of lies. He wants to begin putting you in a place where it feels like a hall of mirrors where what could I even trust or what, you know, can I even trust the Bible? That's what, right where the enemy wants you to be. And if you're a pastor and you encounter people that are dealing with this, love them enough to make sure that we hold on to the fundamental question of what's going on here. I don't know that, I don't believe it is loving to say, let's just set this obstacle aside so that we can, can what? Can sell people on, on half a gospel that doesn't tell them what to do with their bodies or where they came from? How, how is that loving? When really the more loving thing, like you said, Tyler, is to present people with the confrontation of the gospel so that if they choose to accept it, they can understand both where they came from, who they are, and where they are going. Th that is the answer that people need. And, you know, I'll just I'll just say pastorally, 
you, if you live in the American church, we are at a real crossroads here where we get to decide, are we going to go the way of some of these entire denominations or groups of the faith. Yeah, that you can just, see where this goes. You look at the Episcopalian denomination. Look at the United Methodist Church. Look yeah. at England. Look at uh, Germany and as France. A country, yeah. We've run this experiment. We have. And, 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 and look at the fact that statistically, in the next 50 years, the average Christian will be a member of the global south who goes thank to a god fun, yeah who oh goes to a, who thank goes to god a, for that. a fundamental pentecostal pe- church probably pentecostal church <laughs> where where we in in the west would look down our nose and scoff all oh, those poor benighted people with their fundamentalist ideas guess what they know jesus they're filled with the holy spirit they read their bible and rather than questioning all those things they've said well if if you guys want to go try that over there you can but we're not we're not going that way. And so, you know, so and you know what? I, so am I. Yeah, I, that absolutely. is that is all I am. I do not absolutely. claim to be any more than that. Yeah, I am. I am going to stand here and continue to stand here as I'm asking you to as a prophetic voice in your own generation. And they come to you and they say the point of today's podcast. They come to you and they say, "Well, what about stars? And what about fossils? And what about evolution? And what about fish? And and." The, the dodo bird and whatever. <laughs> and you, you're going to say, I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. Everybody that eats that fruit gets sick and dies from it. Mm-hmm. And the question I'll ask you is, how much evidence do you need? Mm-hmm. Because we've brought some guys on that have answered these questions for you. So my I think that we don't need to have enough evidence to definitively prove these things. I think the Bible and the theology of Scripture gives us a mandate to say nothing, by the way, of the prophecy Peter gave in Second Peter, yeah. which is something else to consider entirely, but we've already talked about that. The Bible gives us enough theological warning. Jesus warned us in his gospel, Matthew chapter 7, to watch out for bad fruit. And the tree of evolution is loaded with bad fruit. Yeah. And the Bible even says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. So if it is producing bad fruit, then we've got to say, then I don't want anything to do with that. And people say, well, this is an objective thing. We say, I have enough objective answers from godly people that have told me to question this to justify my skepticism of your bleak, pessimistic, dark worldview, to reject it. And to those atheists who want to say, well, what about all the bad things that the church has done? I will answer that question for you. I will give you a Bible. That is our canon. That is our standard. That is our, this is what the truth is. And anything that deviates from that is wrong. I, any bad fruit that has been born by the church has been born in direct violation of what God has told us. Right. Not only that, but Jesus warned us that there would be tares growing up with the wheat, that there would be bad fish with the good fish, and it is to be expected. When I point at you, and you then refuse to own the killing fields, the gulags, the concentration camps, the, sm- the school shooters, or the abortion clinic, you say, that doesn't have anything to do with my worldview. Okay, you have no objective standard to stay why that person cannot go there. Exactly you've, right. se- you've seen the Dark Knight movie with the Joker. Mm-hmm. The whole that we could do a whole podcast like seriously on the I should do that at on some the, point, uh, actually. Well, the foolishness of the philosophy of it. Right, right, right. Batman comes in and says, "I've I've got my one rule, I don't kill anybody." Joker shows up and says, "Your rule is stupid because you made it up. I'm going to put you in a situation where you have to break your rule." So my question to you is, what objective standard do you have to say that he's wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to be like Friedrich Nietzsche said and be Superman and create uh, create our own right and wrong. How's that working out for you, friend? 
Do you, do you believe that all we've got to do is eradicate these religious thinkers and then we can get it? That's what the Soviets thought. They were an explicitly atheist regime that all the Christians are going to be sent to the gulags and going to be killed so that we can establish an atheist society that will finally bring in the utopia. Hitler said, evolution is true. We are the master race. So let's get rid of anybody that's inferior to us. That's what has been done in the name of evolution and the name of atheism. And if that appalls you and you don't want anything to do with that, then let me ask you, are you sure you're eating from the right tree if that's the kind of fruit that's being born off of it? You know, it took us five podcast episodes to get back to that this really like we talked about at the beginning this is a this is not an issue really about science this is a metaphysical and question this is a religious question and what i mean by that is at, at some point you know we can like you said we can argue about rock layers and stuff all day but the, it really does come down to and i, I know this is true because i've spoken to many people who've been honest with me this is a question of in your heart are you ready to accept one of these two views of the world is your philosophical, metaphysical view that before all things there was matter <laughs> and, and that's all that there ever has been? Or is your metaphysical view that before anything ever existed, there was God? And once you make that decision, all of the rest of this falls into place really neatly for you. But before you make that decision, friend, you're going to be caught in this maze of like, well, here's some evidence on this side and here's some evidence on that side. So I just really want to encourage you. Once you've made that, if you lock that in in your heart and your mind, look, you'll have fun conversations and you'll say, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that evidence. Maybe I need to dig up that a little bit. But it, it's not the same conversation until you've made that choice. And let me speak really strongly. Why would you listen to somebody who has made a fundamentally different choice about the very nature of reality when they tell you what they th what they think about interpreting basically anything that we see or anything that we can think of, why would you listen to somebody who's th their view? It's literally that is the case, Christian. Their view of what the world is is diametrically opposed to yours, and vice versa. So, in my mind, I, we are going to listen to the people. I have to listen to the people over over here who believe the world is like this. Because I, I can't, why would I go to drink from the well? It's like Proverbs says, so you're going to go drink from someone else's spring? I know it's way different context, but bear with me here. Oh, the illustration works. You're going to go to another well and drink from that well and say, look, there's, there's great water over here. Why would you do that? You don't need to do that. You're, and I, I will share because I have been guilty of this. You are choosing to do that because it gives you respectability and it soothes intellectual pride. That's why we do that. What has happened is there are wolves ravaging the flock, the flock of the United States of America, which quite possibly could have been the greatest light of Christianity the world has ever At known. At one time, yeah. And wolves have ravaged the church. And what was it that gave the impetus to those wolves? It was this doctrine of evolution. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem, though. The church's shepherds have not stood up and put a bullet in the wolf because they say, well, I think the wolf might have a point. I don't know how to answer the wolf. Yeah. How about this? How about, let's look at this spiritually. Forget even theologically. Let's look at this spiritually. The churches are being destroyed because of this. Kids are being ravaged in their faith because of this. Yeah. These people hate you. They hate Jesus. They hate the Bible. They don't believe anything the Bible says. And they have launched a campaign of mockery, indoctrination, and propaganda against you. The The Christians at the beginning got this. Yeah, they, they saw it and they said, oh, yeah. no, absolutely not. You're not teaching that in the schools because they saw what this was from the beginning. That should be enough for you to say, I don't care if I'm wrong in your eyes. 
you're destroying God's church. And that is a truth that I know to be true above everything else. Mm. And I'm not going to take the time of day from you. And they say, well, the science says. That's when your response should be, science changes all the time. I'm willing to wait on this one. Mm -hmm. And then good Christian scientists come along. And even in the church, they don't get accepted because people are afraid they're going to look stupid in front of their friends that hate Jesus. The wolves will think we're stupid. You're not supposed to argue with the wolves. You're supposed to pick up a rock and drive them away. The wolves will think we're stupid. That's what a great, what a great encapsulation of what we've struggled with in the, in the church over the last 200 years. We're afraid that the wolves will laugh at us. We're afraid that the wolves will think we're backward. Wolves be wolves, man. People have have swallowed, well, they won't believe the gospel if we come at it with this. People swallowed all this weird woke stuff, which also has no time for evolution, by the way. Some of them do, but a lot of them are like, I think it's patriarchal and it's evil. That is so ridiculous, we hardly even know how to answer them sometimes because the questions are so dumb. And we have the truth of the living God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's because we're afraid to insist that people just believe. We say, well, well, we have to have proof. You do have proof. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's everything that the Lord has done. Mm. So I, I want to bring this to a close by returning to that psalm that I read at the beginning. Because Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And many people, that's about where they want to leave it. They want to sit and lament, as we have kind of done on this podcast, and I don't apologize for it, over what has happened and what is done. And people will say things which I just cannot get on board with, like, yeah, that's it. This generation is done. It's like, how can you as a parent <laughs> say that? How can you as yeah. a pastor say that? Yeah. You're salt of the light. Jesus said you must occupy until he comes. Mm-hmm. And this this is our little teeny tiny, you know, less than a thousand subscribers way of pushing back, right? That's right. What can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? Finish the psalm, you guys. Mm-hmm. It says in verse 4 to 7, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. The Lord sees. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. What can the righteous do? The Lord is righteous. That's the whole point of that psalm. Mm-hmm. Is not there's nothing we can do. The point is, do you think that the sinners are going to get away with this? God is in heaven and he sees what they're doing. I'm telling you, the Lord will not allow himself to be mocked. The Lord will not allow this to continue. There will be a testimony. There will be a remnant. And as long as the church is on the earth, we are the light of the world. And that we, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We must continue to march and trust that the Lord in his righteousness will stand against this. That psalm is not meant to cause you to despair. It's meant to take your despair and turn it to hope. Because Jesus is still saving souls. God is still the king of all creation and the Holy Spirit is still granting power to those that call upon him. As long as that is still true, there's no room for despair, you guys. Oh yeah, I've got nothing else to add to that. I've got no time for for what we would call, what the kids would call black pilling, right? Which is like, uh, oh, we might as well give up. That's ridiculous. We, we're part of God's church. There have, if you think this is bad, there have been far darker nights in the history of the church and the Lord is always there ready to bring, a re- always there with a remnant, always there transforming what looked impossible through the power of the gospel, and you think he can't do it now? What were we saying? Don't you tell me he can't do it, right? That, oh, come on now. And, yeah. and not oh, only that, that but w- maybe we should even, this is probably another 
whole podcast series, the number of opportunities that this worldview opens wide for the gospel, guys. I could, I, you know, we don't even have time. This is, these people are so depressed and so beaten down because they believe that the, the, the universe laughs at them. And you come, when you come to somebody who's ready that the Holy Spirit is prepared, who believes that, and you tell them, not only is that not true, but let me tell you something about who you are. Let me tell you something about how God made you. Let me, like the, the look that you see on somebody's face when they get that, it like, man, there's so, the, the enemy is looking so scary from the front, but his flank is so exposed through this doctrine. Oh, yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell the, you, the gospel you might is marching say, on that, man. What we've tried to do here is we've tried to give you, first of all, to address the issue, give you a, the biblical answer, like the textual issue, answer. I mean, give you the theological answer today to get some really like legit <laughs> scientists to come in and talk to you about this stuff and give you some scientific answers to this question. But you might still be sitting there and going, okay, well, I don't know though. What about this thing? What about that thing? What about this issue? I'll just say this. This is your answer to somebody that asks you questions. You respond, you give your you give your evidences, you defend the faith as much as you can, but you respond with the truth of the gospel. If you're listening to this and you're like, I think these guys might be a little wacky, but oh, if it only were true, I'm just going to tell you that God created you by hand. He knows you by name. He loves you with an everlasting love. And the day you call on the name of the Lord, he will set you free. Nobody who calls on the name of Jesus will be turned away. That's true. And if you think, I just wish it was true with all my heart, I'm calling you to, to make an act of your will to believe these things. Mm. And you will find all along that you've been deceived and that God loves you with all of his heart. Just tell people the truth, you guys, and they can only respond to it. Yeah, man. So that's, that's the end of our series on creation. Uh, it, it can be kind of dark and bleak to talk about this, but there is so much hope. There are answers to these questions. I, I would love to maybe sometime get another uh, Christian scientist on the podcast, creation scientist, to talk about these things. But in the meantime, I hope that gives you all enough to at least bolster you in your faith and maybe drag somebody back from the edge. And uh, I hope that you will take the time to look into these things. Mm-hmm. We'll see you all soon. We're going to have another series coming up here. Uh, in the meantime, the Difference Makers book is still out. And hopefully by the time this airs, uh, the audio book will be available as well. But we will talk to you all very soon. God bless you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.